0: Welcome to the Health Hour, I'm Dr. Jonathan Witt, your host as usual, and apparently I've got music in the background, Jono. That's not bad. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so uh, my contriter today, Jono, Um, and uh, essentially uh, we've got an interesting show ahead because we're discussing stuff I've never heard of, um, which is... uh, Interesting to say the least, uh, but I suppose we'll get into it while well, most doctors have never heard of what we're talking about. Mm. Um, before we get there, good day for science yesterday. Okay, what happened? So firstly, the Pope uh, sort of said that uh, evolution is kind of real okay. um, and creationism isn't and that God doesn't have a magic wand. So big step forward. Really? I can't believe he said that. That's a, that's a yeah. big breakthrough. Yeah, no, he did. Yeah. He did. I'm sure there will be people who say he was misinterpreted, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, but he pretty much said that in those words. So, so that's great news. And, um, Google, did you see the doodle? Yes. The guy for polio. Well, the guy who basically pioneered vaccines. Mm. So, um, Joseph Salk. Mm. So he, um, he's, he's the reason why, well, billions of people are alive today. So, uh, yeah, we were actually talking yesterday and I don't think this generation realizes how big of a thing polio was. No, it's, it's, it's just exceptionally massive. And we see in America when they now start, uh, with their nonsense, stop taking, measles vaccines mmr vaccines and now suddenly there's a resurgence and sort of mm, thousands of kids are so worried about Ebola they've got kids dying of measles which essentially should uh, not be happening mm-hmm. just uh, but a lot of people are anti-vaccine because of their yeah. myths and beliefs around it so I don't know. Tell, tell me about it yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. a constant battle right so so um good with that uh, with that said we've got a we've got a good intro to the show because um some good science, but uh, now we're going to talk about some science some of us know nothing about. Most doctors leave medical school not knowing about these things, um, just simply because they are exceptionally rare. I'm chatting to Kelly Duplessis. How's it, Kelly?
1: How's it? Thanks for having me.
0: Um, Kelly's from uh, Rare Diseases South Africa, is that correct? Correct. She heads up that organization? Correct. Um, and essentially, it's a support group, we'll get into how it started, a support group and advocacy organization. Uh, anything else that I'm missing? Yeah,
1: so basically we just focus on public awareness, patient advocacy, and obviously making sure that patients receive access to adequate healthcare when, where it's appropriate, you know, where it's available.
0: Cool. So so um, that's, uh, that's looking at uh, diseases, and I keep mentioning this stuff we don't know. So give us an idea, give us a range of some of the diseases we're talking about.
1: So um, in essence, there's over 7,000 conditions that are considered rare. So. It's a kind of uh, double whammy in the sense that they're quite common, affecting um, an estimated 10% of the generalized population. Added all together. Yeah, combined. Mm. But individually, because there's over 7,000 of them, chances are you won't hear of the same, you know, two people with the same condition, sure. which kind of um, accentuates the fact that they're so rare. So the, the, the sort of trend is moving towards calling them orphan diseases because um, that way it just highlights the isolation and mm. the, the almost abandonment that, the, you know, that is experienced by these patients.
0: So because there's so, because so few people are suffering with these illnesses, the drug companies don't do research because there's no money to be made. Yeah, um, that's uh,
1: that's always the unfortunate thing in, in rare conditions is that you know research and development are huge costs and because you're recouping your costs over such a limited pool of patients it's not always necessarily viable for pharmaceutical companies and given you know medication is not developed overnight it takes years and it takes a couple of tries yeah. before you get one that actually makes it to, to human trials sure. so it's, it is a big challenge and that's that's one of the biggest reasons why many of our patients are not on treatment purely because the costs are so high
0: and, and in terms of in terms of identifying i mean you know i've said uh and we'll get into your personal story just now but um in terms of identifying these diseases you know we've got a majority of gps who will probably never have heard of it sure we can go look it up but um the problem is a kid comes to us uh, and he's uh, not growing or or he's uh, having difficulty with uh, school for whatever reason be it on the sporting side or the academic side and and we misdiagnose it because well what he has we've never heard of it and and don't even think of
1: Yeah, correct. I think that that's one of the biggest challenges. The average time for diagnosis in a rare disease patient is seven point two years. Wow! So uh, that just gives you an idea. And in in pediatrics, generally, the the children are affected much more severely than what an adult with the same condition would be. And generally, they don't make their fifth birthday, which makes it so tough. Um,
0: Whoa! Hold on a second. So we've got kids dying by their fifth birthday, and an average time to diagnose is average, which means it's sometimes longer. Correct. Um, So seven years. So We've got kids dying because we're not diagnosing the disease.
1: Correct. And it's it's generally on autopsy that um, a diagnosis will become available. And that's what makes it so difficult for us. And as a mother who was in that similar situation... um, I just couldn't stand back and, and, you know, just witness it happening to so many more children. Mm. So public awareness. And I think it, that's why it's so critical because often it is the parents driving the diagnosis and um, not giving up and making a hundred percent sure that they keep going back and. Often you feel like you're trying to convince the doctor that something's wrong because <laughs> um, they're you, telling you, you that there's nothing wrong. You
0: probably are. So, so what is, so you, you've, you've delved into your personal story a little bit. What, what's happened with you?
1: So my son, John was born in essence a healthy baby boy. Um, he did well at his apgars. You know, he was a perfect 10 fingers, 10 toes. And by six weeks, we started realizing that he, Wasn't quite lifting his head as he should. He used to battle with breathing. He used to sleep with his head really far back. And, um, as time went on, those signs became more significant in the sense that he wasn't moving around. Most, you know, motor milestones weren't being reached. Mm. And, um, he started with reoccurring chest infections and, um, for a period of four months, we were in and out of hospital and it was exactly what I've just said, that doctors were saying to me, you know, it's just the flu, stop being paranoid. And I was saying, this can't be the flu, like he's not getting better. Yeah. And um, so we kept driving it and driving it and eventually- so How
0: many I, did you have to convince? Oh
1: no, half of Joburg, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen most pediatricians in Cloud But enough. um <laughs> eventually um, I went and camped outside a pediatrician's rooms on a Friday afternoon and I said to him, I'm not leaving. And uh, he had just been visited by a rep of the pharmaceutical company the week previously, and that's why Jean's condition was at the top of his mind. And he said, actually, I'm going to test him for Pompeii. And I said, okay, like, what is so that? So I'm going
0: to stop you right there because uh, I chatted to you a little bit before the show, and you said Pompeii. And I I have to say that… Uh, it, maybe at some point in my education it was kind of like in a lecture on a slide when it was kind of listed as like not even a one-liner like part of a one-liner I I may have heard it but I I honestly have no idea we're it with you uh, and we'll get into it but but you know, it's it's a it's a volcano that erupted. Um, <laughs> so so you know he he gets diagnosed with Pompeii Pompe is essentially
1: so, so Pompeii is in essence it's a neuromuscular condition that results in an enzyme deficiency. So um, his body doesn't produce an enzyme, and in his specific case, that enzyme's responsible for turning glycogen into um, glucose in the body, which is obviously then a form of sugar that the body can use to function. So in the absence of that gly- uh, the enzyme, um, he just stores glycogen which is almost toxic When it's, um, it's not being yeah. converted And it just dystrophies the muscles In essence And it affects everything From his head to his toes Cardiac, epithelial Or every form because of muscle Because
0: obviously There's all the different types of muscles So right. he's going to have Gastrointestinal problems as well right. You know,
1: um, you know, enlarged hearts is, um, in the infantile cases, they have severe, severely enlarged hearts. Um, sure. it's recurrent chest infections purely from a breathing point of view and from a lung capacity point of view. Their muscles literally are squashing their, their chest cavities all the time. So they yeah. don't breathe correctly. Um, it's gastrointestinal. It's speech issues. It's even goes as far as hearing because the auditory canal is surrounded by muscle.
0: Yeah. And the bones themselves they're all connected in Correct. some way so, so if
1: your muscles don't work you you kind of uh, you know it's not such a great place to be
0: wow so how old is he now
1: he's now five he just turned five two two months ago
0: okay so you've done a lot of work in the last five years um okay and you've it's your son, and how many others?
1: Just one. My daughter. I was already pregnant when John was diagnosed, so luckily she's not affected.
0: Okay, and he's he's affected, and in the country we're looking at with his illness,
1: five. In fact, six. Six, uh, six yeah, in the country. Just this morning, yeah, we've had another one.
0: A new diagnosis, and and uh, but it, we should we probably undiagnosing that condition.
1: Absolutely, based on population size, we should have at least three hundred patients.
0: All right, so. We're well, well diagnosed. Five right. out of three hundred, six out of three hundred so far. Yeah. So, exactly. so and, not,
1: um, e- not
0: even, uh, we're, we're talking sort of two percent. We've got two percent of the entire population. And I mean, we've lost,
1: disease. we've lost nine babies in the last two years, um, that have only been diagnosed, you know, on oh, autopsy or, or literally days before their death.
0: Wow. And, uh, obviously, I mean, given South Africa, how vast it is, rural areas, et cetera, we, we probably aren't picking up, uh, you probably aren't picking up uh, some of the kids.
1: Correct. And I think the, the, another challenge with rare conditions is that there's so few symptoms separating one from another. It's a, it's a process of elimination. So, um, we always encourage, uh, you know, patients to be tested for things where treatment is available because in the absence of treatment, um, supportive care is all that can be offered. So we always, you know, if there even if it's a long shot, if there's a treatment available mm. for a condition, test for it because, you know, we've all been long shots. We've all felt like long shots along the way. Everyone that's affected,
0: you know? Fair enough. It's, it, I, I just think, uh, I think what happens is it's, it's sort of kind of goes against what's drilled into doctors, uh, which is often, uh, you know, if it looks like a duck and it cracks like a duck, it must be a duck. Correct. Um, and they, they kind of averse to, to, to that almost, but you, you gotta find someone who's a little bit open minded and, and goes, well, this doesn't look quite, like it duck. should <laughs> yeah it doesn't look quite like duck <laughs> it, will, it will sound like it
1: yeah i think that that's the thing and i my advice to parents especially especially moms is you know if if it's if it's gnawing at you um keep trying because i think it's so easy to be put off by by medical professionals and it's not their fault um there's so many conditions and you know, you guys see so many things every single day that are more mm. common. You're not thinking of the ultra rare. You know, well, conditions. I can tell you,
0: we get taught at medical school, common things occur commonly. Uh, you know, and, exactly. and that's, that's, uh, that, that's how they teach medical students. I can tell you, they teach them to look out for the common things. Certainly not to say that we don't get caught taught the uncommon things but as you say 7,000 diseases I mean it's uh, exactly. You'd need to, be become, a specialist. to become familiar with all of those a specialist just in rare diseases exactly. essentially
2: exactly
0: all right so so which you're sort of becoming so <laughs> <laughs> you've you've gone out you've you originally set up uh, this support group essentially around your son's disease and then thought well
1: yeah, so we started obviously doing a bit of press trying to you know locate other patients across the country and it turned out that many pa- families were coming forward in similar situations with different conditions and having walked the road, it was very difficult to be, okay, well, you know, that's your problem. We, we're only focusing on this. So we kind of started encompassing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And before you knew it, it it's turned into this huge organization. And sure. um, we've got over 1,700 patients in less than two years.
0: Wow. And some of the diseases that people might have heard
1: of? So pulmonary hypertension is one that's um, there's obviously a campaign at the moment, Get Me to 21.
0: Yeah, I saw that. That's uh, one of yeah. the, I can't remember the girl's name.
1: Jenna, Lowe. So she's one of our, um, she's our pulmonary hypertension ambassador. Yeah, and she's desperately in need of a lung transplant. So yeah. so um, so pulmonary hypertension is kind of one that people are, are getting into at the moment. Mm. Um, but it's Crohn's disease is considered a rare disease. Really? That's, yeah. But that's relatively common. And um, oh. Julian Barre syndrome. You know, you've got yeah. a lot of the autoimmune diseases that are not actually that rare. It's specifically speaking, if it affects one in 2,000 people, it's considered a rare condition. So you've yeah. obviously got those that are more common in the rare scheme of things. Mm. And then you've got uh, conditions where you've got one family affected throughout the world. You know, one lineage and that's it.
0: Wow. <laughs> and as long as they have kids, they'll, they'll kind of uh, perpetuate it, un- exactly. unfortunately. Um, well... On both sides of, <laughs> yeah. of, of however you look at it. Sure. So, alright. So your organization is obviously dealing with a lot of, a lot of these things. Um, you, you that, that puts you in an interesting space because, uh, you're dealing with the medical aids, You're dealing with the ministry of health. Uh, you're dealing, um, with patients and families themselves, um, and campaigns in terms of the public and awareness. Um, tell me a bit about the Get Me To 21 campaign.
1: So basically, um, Jenna's whole drive is obviously she's she's n- literally needing lungs before to, for her to make her 21st birthday. And um, so she said, listen, you know, it's going to be a celebration if I get there. Let's have a party and let's say you get invited by signing up to be an organ donor. In South Africa, we've got the lowest organ donation rates statistically in the world. I mean, we're less than 1%. Of our population, sure. and um, it it again goes. I mean, if you ask people about organ donation, often they say like, "Oh, well, I mean, can I give a lung if I'm still alive?" There's that's the that's the lack of understanding around it. So, mm. so she's just started on this thing, saying, you know, listen, I, I, you know, obviously for her it's personal. She she needs lungs. Yeah. So, and it's kicked off really really well, and she's done an amazing job. And um, I think organ donation's now finally on the topics, and you know, it's being spoken about, which is something that's been lacking. And I think also for a lot of the black population, it's much worse for them because there's not a lot of black donors.
0: Well, it's a cultural thing. I can tell exactly. you, I've, I've cu- tried to counsel families where uh, I've treated patients who've been brain dead, um, usually, you know, involved in trauma, car accidents, things like that. And uh, on the white side, it's a religious thing yeah. um, very often, and on the black side, it's a, it's cultural, a cultural thing. thing. And, uh, very often we, not very often, all the time, I would say every day across the country, we're losing good organs. Absolutely. Um because, you know, I, from my perspective, I know it's difficult for people to understand when your fam- it's your family member, but at the end of the day, uh, when there's no brain activity left, uh, those organs are, are, are good but, to yeah. go and, uh, you know, and they can save many, many lives, so. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. So seven lives So seven, yeah. so you know they, they make a massive Massive impact And people It's difficult to get them To realize that, I mean there are Counseling teams You know Organ donation teams yeah. That go out To sort of try counsel the families and, and get them into it.
1: Yeah, I know and I think, um, I think you know, like we've got a girl that works in our office that's also, she's um, a cystic fibrosis patient and she's also she's got so much potential and um, she's on oxygen 24 hours a day mm. and um, couldn't get employment because of the fact that she's on oxygen, 100% capable and also in need of a double lung transplant and um, she's, a, she's a black girl and I, I feel I, I empathize with her because there's such a, such a dire need and I always say if you're not going to use them, give them to somebody you can, you know, you can extend somebody's life by years.
0: Absolutely, And some of these uh, kids, I mean, I've, I've met kids and they obviously become adults, um, if they're lucky enough, uh, yeah. you know, they are, they, they, they have such hardship at the beginning of their lives that they are wonderful people actually Absolutely. because they have such a positive outlook on life Absolutely, because they have to have, uh, um, yeah. never forget uh, working with some of the cystic fibrosis kids at, at Jobic Gen and uh, just wonderful children because they just, I always you know, say, the way they look at things.
1: Yeah, I always say that a, a rare disease patient, when the doctor says to you, go home, there's nothing we can do. They always see it as a challenge. They don't see it as a death sentence. Like they have the biggest hearts out of, uh, you know, these kids are just phenomenal. Um, I obviously see it with my son, but I see it with so many children that they just have such a, they try so much harder to do the simplest things sure. that they just, you know, life's a I feel battle for them, but they're grateful. You know, the day that they can walk down the passage and it's not such a struggle, they feel like they're winning. Yeah. Whereas, you know, generally, if you came into life healthy and you land up getting diagnosed later as an adult, you kind of feel sorry for yourself. Yeah,
0: adults get very miserable. They <laughs> tend you know? to go, why me? Exactly. Uh, whereas kids don't don't generally do that. I mean, just straightforward cancer kids as well. Interesting thing I, I read was uh, someone had said there was a father of rare disease in in the UK yes. uh, who who wore a T shirt that said uh, wish "I my, wish my son had cancer" or something to that effect. Yeah,
1: no, and I've said it a couple of times as well and been kind of shunned for it. But I think the understanding is is if you say my child's been diagnosed with cancer, there's automatically an empathy and people mm. understand and they like that's terrible. And treatment, treatment, exactly. and
0: special clinics and Help. A, a whole process to to to. Yeah. You know? That you go through
1: There's numerous organizations There's numerous people Because cancer affects Such a wide variety Of the population mm. There's lots of treatments Available um, You know th- There's options um, With rare diseases You're lucky If you have one treatment Lucky Like you're very lucky the, the Rare diseases Don't generally have Two or three options And then it's a case of they're that much More expensive And it's getting The medical aids on board And getting somebody To actually get the drugs in It's tough
0: Yeah, sure. All right, Uh, lots more to chat about. Uh, We're going to take a a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we'll continue. com. Uh, you're listening on podcast You wouldn't have heard That uh, that was Vonda Shepard Which uh, Who's sing- singing the song From Ally McBeal um, So Thank you For taking me back to uh, I don't know My teenage years Yeah This is
3: the only show Where we get to play Real music You know The other hosts
0: They only want the modern stuff <laughs> No that's fine We we can play the old stuff We had 99 <laughs> Rand balloons And now we had Ellie McBeal That's that's cool uh, When we get out know, of the studio Everyone in the station uh, Is going to be moaning uh, at Magnum, us Magnum piano Something <laughs> like that <laughs> Um although I said we're staying away from the eighties. Right, so so um back on the show and and, and chatting to Kelly Duplessis from uh, Rare Diseases South Africa. Um so we've gone over like this stuff, you know, this Seven thousand diseases in the country um, that are considered rare. Some of which we, we we've heard about, cystic fibrosis. We probably heard about. Uh, doctors certainly should know Julian Barre, otherwise they should be uh, removed. Um, <laughs> so things like that. But uh, but then uh, the rarer stuff, like uh, your son's Pompei, um, and I'm sure other enzy- enzymatic related yeah, uh, conditions, um, because there are thousands of of enzymes essentially that are constantly doing stuff in your body. Um, and uh, obviously rare is a side in terms of uh, creating public awareness and, and the campaign going on at the moment with regards to organ donation um but then there's a whole other side which is trying to make the people who legislate healthcare recognize the issue and also trying to make the people who pay for healthcare um pay for the issue. Yeah, exactly. So let's go um to um the medical aid side of things um and discuss that. I mean, obviously we'll get to the public side because that that does tie in with the Minister of Health and 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 that kind of thing. But the medical aids, you spend a lot of time fighting with them. I'm told you you got one of the CEOs' uh, numbers on speed dial basically.
1: <laughs> so um look, I think You know, obviously, patients are desperate in these situations. And And
0: parents. I mean, it's parents. It's not not even the kids. It's it's parents advocating for their children.
1: You know, and um, for somebody to say, do you listen, the drug's too expensive, or sorry, it didn't make our list because uh, we didn't consider it when we sat down at the drawing board initially is a tough pill to swallow. And I mean, we were in that situation initially where the medical aid said, oh, you know, we've never heard of Pompeii. Sorry. <laughs> and, um, like, and I was just like, well, that's really not my problem. Yes. And, um, they it's were not like, an
0: answer. We've never heard of it. So yeah. sorry.
1: So, and, um, you know, so the engagement started. So, um, it's not that we want to fight with the medical aids, but ethically speaking, um, if there's a treatment available, only 5% of rare conditions have a treatment. Yeah. So if you're one of the lucky ones to land up in that 5% population, to now be told because of your geographical location, because of the state of our healthcare system, because of the medical aid plan that you're on and you can't afford better, um, yeah. you know, sorry, you just don't make the cuts, is is difficult. Like, I'm like, you, one of 350 conditions have treatment available out of 7,000 and now we still don't get it like so we what are we talking
0: let, let's try put our you know put our put their shoes on our feet and, and all of that what are we talking in terms of costs on some of these medications
1: I would say on average um, in excess of a million rand I would say the enzyme related disorders close to 4 or 5 million rand a year per patient so they're not cheap per year per year
0: okay um, and that's an ongoing thing that's obviously. ongoing
1: they will never make the, the the enzyme themselves so they'll need it for the rest of their lives sure. but other conditions not um if you look at some of the like primary immune deficient patients mm-hmm. you know um for instance uh, some of them have to go through immune modulation and then after that they, they're, they're kind of okay they're kind of okay so it's not always a lifelong thing and um so we obviously tackle medical aids on a daily basis um I think when they hear rare diseases, I just kind of get put through to, to, to higher management now. They're just like, please don't let me be the one to deal with this woman because I, I do kind of get, you know, uh, you know. A bit I, of Yeah, exactly. I, I can get a little I don't bit blame paid you. off and, um. But I think, generally, I think medical aids are starting to understand that there is a bigger need and that we're not going away. And um, obviously, now that there's a formal organization to lobby, um, mm. they've realized that, you know, they have to engage with us. They can't kind of just ignore our emails anymore. It's not, one,
0: it's not one mother. It's, uh, yeah, there's, there's it's
1: 1,700 now. mothers. Yeah, so. Exactly. You don't want to piss us all off at the same <laughs> time. So
0: Especially not mothers. If it was fathers, maybe. But with <laughs> but, but the moms, you don't want to mess with them.
1: No. I mean, I've literally camped at our medical aid. And I stood there and I said, I, I, I'm literally not leaving it today. So I've got this authorization, and if <laughs> if I don't get it, I'm going across the road to Prime Media. So, like, take your pick, you know.
0: So you can guess which medical aid <laughs> that is, everyone.
1: But um, and it, in that specific case, it was actually the fact that the the um, you know, the the call center staff and stuff are not adequately trained to deal with these f- they, specialized cases. And they would cases. never be in, exactly. in
0: reality. And
1: most often it's a, it's a lack of communication. They're not understanding the need. You know, if you look on your disease formulary list, it's, you know, like enzyme replacement therapy is not going to be there. So they look at and they're going, uh, not, as a, it. not
0: as an inclusion or an exclusion.
1: Exactly, It's not there because it's a they specialized They haven't even case. thought about it. Exactly. So if you land up going to higher management and you sit down and engage, most of the times we coming right. Um, it's a bigger problem in the state sector because, obviously, there uh, you don't get an appointment. The funding. And the funding. And you, nobody answers you and nobody comes back and no one's accountable. There's no accountability. So, it's much tougher in the state sector. If you're on medical aid in this country, you're one of the lucky ones.
0: Sure. Wow. Um, and, uh, obviously, it's early on in the kid's life. So uh, Exactly.
1: Most patients are sick within the first year.
0: Sure. All right. So, we're dealing literally infants. Yeah.
1: So think about all those babies that you see. seen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, now I'm starting to worry. Um, <laughs> it wasn't just bro- bronchiolitis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. So you also are advocating for you know change in terms of legislation in terms of our Ministry of Health. Yeah. Um, because this isn't anywhere.
1: Yeah. Well, I think um, 80% of rare conditions are genetic, uh, meaning that you you're born with it. It's a congenital birth defect. So there is a kind of small little policy for that, that no one's actually reviewed in the last 15 years. So, okay. and our constitution states that you have a right to care diagnosis and treatment. Hmm. So I'm kind of saying, well, well, where are you guys fulfilling that? Cause we're not getting any of the three. Um, you're not getting access to therapy. You're not getting access to treatment. You're sure as hell not getting a diagnosis because the NHLS is in such a state and our genetic services are falling off the back. <sighs>
0: just on the diagnosis side, if we can just segue into that quickly. Um, In terms of these tests, are they all being done in private labs? Is it Uh, it stuff that gets done in South Africa? Does it get shipped out?
1: um, Look, if you want an accurate diagnosis um, within your lifespan, ship it out. That's really? Pro- are we going to the leaf. UK and the US? Yeah, that's it. Um, our, our genetic services, our testing facilities, I know that are, they're sitting at like a six month backlog, provided that don't get any more testing.
0: Even our private labs?
1: Our private labs are a little bit better, but generally in terms of genetic services, our private it's labs. It's not stuff don't, they really do. They don't do it. it. It will, in essence, get referred back to the NHLS.
0: Wow okay so um, they go back to sort of big daddy which is NHLS and NHLS goes well that'll We're have busy. to wait yeah Um, we've we've got xyz to exactly. deal with exactly Sure. All right. So, it's just, sorry, just interesting on the diagnosis side of things because, uh, you know, that's logistical as well as a, a practical Yeah, thing. I mean,
1: we're very, very lucky in that we've, we've uh, you know, DHL's actually come on board and they move all our genetic samples around the world for us free of charge.
0: Sure.
1: Um, they've stood behind There you go, diseases. people. DHL? <laughs> there's, a, there's a free
0: punt and I, I don't <laughs> think, uh, I think that they're doing really noble work by, by offering that service. So. Yeah,
1: because, I mean, tested, moving samples alone is about 10 grand a pop. Yeah, because they
0: have to be cooled and all of that kind of stuff.
1: And viability. You you definitely don't want to be cutting your child open, taking out a piece of muscle, doing all the thing it gets there, and it's actually two days past its expiry date. Yeah. So um, they've been great. And it's it's really assisted us in in terms of getting diagnoses approved. But obviously, it comes back to the fact that we can't be spending – I mean, genetic testing is about twenty-five grand a case in any case as well. Wow. So you can't – medical aids don't reimburse you unless you've got a positive diagnosis. <laughs> so, that's irony
0: Congratulations, you have a disease We'll pay you back <laughs>
1: <laughs> Like, you know what I'm saying So, here's a parent, you're like, okay, well, we can test for these four things It's going to cost you a hundred grand you might not see any of that back. I mean, best case scenario, and you'll if you get didn't test for the fifth thing, yeah, well, and that is probably what it is. And sorry for you. Like, so we, as an organisation, try and assist with that, we do fundraising and stuff to obviously pay for those costs. Okay. But um, what we we focus on treatable conditions purely because that's where an outcome yeah, is I, easily sure, available. Sure. And. It's terrible to say it because I know for a fact how desperate you are for a diagnosis that's accurate mm. and you want to have a name.
0: But getting a diagnosis you can do nothing about, unfortunately, is, is, a, is pointless at from this stage. On the business
1: side of things is, it's, uh, it's
0: not viable. Uh, and look, I mean, as an NGO, it's tough to get hold of money. So, exactly. uh, or an MPO. Um, all right. Sorry. So the legislation side of things, you're actually sitting on a committee.
1: Yeah. So we, uh, the, the genetics book is currently being reformed and, um.
0: When last was that done?
1: Probably
0: 15 years. I think 2004. 2004. All right. So, So, and uh, believe it or not, uh, we're constantly learning about genetics. So, what we knew in 2004, um, we we actually know probably four times the work. I I can tell you the, the genetics book I studied from at medical school was about 120 pages. And the ones they're now giving to the students is about four hundred and fifty pages to give you an idea. Molecular medicine, our molecular medicine textbook.
1: Yeah. So, so new stuff's being discovered every day. Testing, you know, diagnostic tests and how they're done are changing every day. Obviously, now with the whole genome sequencing, it's the new, it's the new big daddy in in sort of genes, Mm. Um, and that also presents a challenge because it's not available locally. Um, if it was available locally, medical aids would pay for it. It's Such not, a pity because
0: so. that whole genome project was actually done for free. Uh, you know the, the the I don't know if you do you know the story behind it. Yeah. With the, pre, the president sat down. Uh, it was uh, Bill Clinton. He he went. To, there were two different uh, sides. There was one guy who was doing it for profit. He was uh, looking to decode the whole human genome, and there was another um, sort of non profit group. But the guy who was doing it for money uh, was way ahead. And he sat down Always. with both of them and said, uh, "Listen, like this is for mankind, and we need to do this for the better of all people." And 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 they they sort of worked together and it's decoded the genome, um, for free essentially with with funding, government funding and and, and sponsorships and things. It's such a pity that uh, that something like that is then. Be, you know fallen flat as an availability to everyone
1: yeah I think that the, the concern from that point of view is that you know as a general as a general person from the population they, they estimate that you've got 600 or so faulty genes what is significant and what isn't yeah and it would it would come back to you as doctors you know having to go through everyone's genome studies well we're and still saying, trying
0: to figure it out I mean we're still looking for Fat genes is an example, which yeah. people want to believe exist as, as, as one example. They definitely exist. Um, <laughs> um, you know, the lazy, I don't want to get out of bed and go to gym gene. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, as you say, some of those, uh, most people have 600 genes that, uh, will, will never be a problem. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you could have one that's going to cause you to develop leukemia. Uh, or and any other it. cancer how, or any other disease. And
1: how do you react to that? That Angelina Jolie, I think, was a prime example in terms of the, you know, when she mm. had her her, her yeah, breast. Yeah. yeah, and um, you know everyone. week, actually. Everyone's going like, oh, geez, like, do, do do we get tested? You know, how do we know? Mm-hmm. Where do you draw the line? Is it significant? Is it not? So it's you know it's tough. And I mean, for me, from my point of view, having a child with, in essence, two. Very rare conditions he 's the only patient in the world that we know that 's got both of them. I mean, like we thought we had it, and then some other stuff started happening, and we like, "Oh, is it this? Is this a new strain like is it a new yeah. mutation?" and you know only to eventually find out that it was actually something completely different yeah, so it's w- tough. I would have loved to have gone for one whole test and them coming back saying these are <laughs> yeah, the here problems. it is you know? well
0: wouldn 't it be great if when you are born, they just took some blood and everyone had had their genome yeah. kind of run. Um, probably actually be a bit uh, saving in terms of healthcare costs in the long term because you'd know what people proactive. were going to get. Um, yeah, proactive approach to healthcare is against a reactive one. Um, okay, so what are you trying to get into the genetics book?
1: Well, for us, um, obviously, we don't have a rediz- an orphan policy in place in South Africa, which is tragic because nobody from overseas is going to invest in a government in terms of clinical trials. We've got a horde of patients here that are... Prime candidates for clinical trials because they've never been treated before. Mm. Um, so, fa- from an investment point of view, pharmaceutical companies would love to be here, but they're not going to invest in a country who hasn't actually determined what their expectations are for their own patients in terms of rare diseases. Okay. So, from our point of view, it's to get government to sit down and say, "Listen, you know, this is what we this is what we say." Pediatrics: If you start on a clinical trial, it has to carry on through their life if it's approved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is what w- the expectation. So is So they want to
0: know side. where the goalposts are. Essentially,
1: exactly. We don't have goalposts. We don't even not filled at this
0: stage. <laughs> and you, I mean, uh, in terms of the drug companies, are, are you in contact with them?
1: Yeah. And so they're interested? Absolutely. Like I mean, you know, we're getting calls all the time from overseas companies saying, Have you got patients here? Because they're always looking for naive patients to develop new treatments. Yes. So I mean, like I said, we we're, we're a gold mine from that point of view. Um yeah. but when they when they delve further into how healthcare systems run and also, you know, if you if you start a child in a clinical trial and something develops from that, will they have access to healthcare? Bone marrow transplants. Will the child have access to ICU units? No, they won't. Well just we can't you know, we can't get involved then
0: sure wow um you you I hope you know you're on an uphill battle on some of those issues because yeah. I can tell you I, just from an i c u perspective you know certainly like in the state better. sector i c u beds are not even like gold they're like uh don't have them. you know like platinum you you just can't get hold of hold of you have to beg, borrow, and steal um quite literally um so all right, so you guys obviously need quite a bit of funding. So who's who's helping you out? Give them a bit of a punt and, <laughs> and give us some details. So if anyone who's listening, anyone who gets hold of the podcast...
1: So we've got um, we've got obviously our pharmaceutical, our industry partners, um, and the objectives with them are obviously very, very different. Mm. Um, then we've got companies like DHL who assist us in services. Um, mm. You know, if, if you're a company that provides great IT infrastructure and can help with the website, please let us know. Like, you know, we, it's not always just financial. It's, it's actually um, services as well that we're so desperate for. Um, but then obviously funding. We've got, for instance, iConnect, um, which is a telecoms company, sent out an email last week to all their suppliers, Saying, listen, we've actually decided we're not sending out corporate gifts this year. We actually, whatever it was that we were going to spend on you per head, Mm. you guys have, in essence, donated it to rare diseases because we feel they need it more than what you. You need do an extra you know a nice or, pad whatever or whatever on your on your table so yeah. and I mean it's those sort of initiatives that are really really warm us from, you know like we we think that you're winning because that sort of investment is so necessary and when you consider what medical aids cost and what testing facilities well 25,000
0: around a test in 1800 patients so you can do well, the math
1: and who do, how do we you know it's tough turning away any family so if there's companies out there that would like to get involved from a services point of view from a strictly a financial point of view we do have we are public Benefit organization, so there are tax benefits to donating. Um, we'll do, in essence, what SARS isn't basically.
0: <laughs> give you some of your money back. Um, all right, and, and remember, uh, we we're about to have taxes go up, so now's a yes. good time to donate. Um, <laughs> Okay, so if they want to contact you, your details?
1: Um, www.rarediseases.coza. That's our website. And, uh, obviously via email, info at z a Um, yeah, they're more than welcome. We've got a very active Facebook page, over 23,000 people on there. Yeah. So they can find us anywhere. And, um, yeah, please, if you want to get involved. Twitter, say,
0: rare diseases Correct. Rare diseases, uh, Kelly, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Um, very interesting chat. I mean, uh, and please keep me updated as to as to what's going on and and in future with if you other have any campaigns kids that
1: you're not sure of. Let us know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I look as a as a doctor personally, I'll, I'll definitely be more observant. Um, but uh, certainly, I'm interested to know how you guys are doing. Thanks. And thanks so much for coming in. We're going to take a short break and then uh, some health news with Catherine after the break. Thanks so much. com
2: When you try. You It's
0: let fix you now that uh, my controller is crying and uh, we're all sobbing in studio. Um, let's uh, go to something a bit more light-hearted. Um, so, uh, Catherine, how are you? You're in Cape Town, which is the first problem.
3: Oh, it's wonderful. People <laughs> really do walk and speak, so yeah, it's very relaxed.
0: Yes, of course. So you're you're having a great time while we're all working in Johannesburg. Um, Yeah, I'm pretending to work. Woe is us. Um, You're at an HIV conference. We'll get to that. Um, Before we get to that, our friends across the pond um, in Australia, and by friends, I mean our enemies, um, and by across the pond, I mean on the other side of the world, um, have decided they are not going to let any West Africans into their country.
3: Yes, Australia, the nanny state, um, (laughs) have definitely responded to fear Bola and they've just decided no more people are coming here. So if you're coming from Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guinea, no holidays in Australia. And if you were going to immigrate there, sorry for you. They're not going to process any immigration applications. And if you're going there for business, well, they're not going to let you in either. It's beyond ignorant. It's very ignorant because you're only infectious if you have a fever. But obviously that's too difficult for Australia to comprehend. Sierra Leone has called them very draconian.
0: <laughs> and, that, and that's that's rich coming from Sierra Leone.
3: Very. But at the, I mean, Amnesty International also got on board and said, "This is ridiculous. We can't have travel restrictions like this." It's yeah, completely it's, stigmatizing for the whole of West
2: Africa.
0: It's it's well, I mean, yeah, they've just they've just uh, stigmatized uh, probably uh, you know fifty or hundred million people. It's 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 quite quite ridiculous. Um, to To disallow them uh, totally, um, moving on from from these uh, silly australians um, whats uh, what else is what else is happening
2: well
3: there 's been an oncology conference in Switzerland, and a big shot in cancer from London has like slammed pharmaceutical firms saying we 'd have far more drugs for cancer if they weren 't just worried about a profit. We all know pharmaceutical Ooh. companies are just there for the money. But he said <laughs> 5% of treatments that we, we have, only 5% of them are there because pharma companies won't take a big risk. So he said they've identified more proteins and aspects of cancer that pharma companies could be developing drugs for, but they're just not doing it.
0: Based on a financial incentive.
3: Yes. I mean, the drug must basically be not risky, and then the pharma company is going to develop it. So what's his, de-
0: what's his suggestion other than changing the way the stock market works?
3: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, pharma companies are there for money. He did say that governments have to reward companies for taking a risk, which is maybe very pragmatic. He didn't say exactly, but probably tax incentives and looking at the pharma companies to see if they were being very innovative. He also said governments should be less bureaucratic because they make it very difficult to regulate drugs.
0: Fair enough. Very good point, actually. And
3: they've got to come to the party, basically, which, interestingly, is what happened with HIV. Yeah.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah it it is but uh, it's interesting that the same hasn't actually really happened with cancer. Um while we on while we're on HIV. So you are an HIV conference what 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 is it?
3: So this is a conference about prevention of HIV. Um and yeah, they've got all the big stuff from America and South Africa speaking in science, but nevertheless it's quite interesting. And they're looking at vaccines and all the different ways that if you put it together it would help people prevent some Prevent
0: getting HIV. Alright, and on the prevention side of things, there's a bit of uh, controversy because uh, we now don't know if there may be a link between birth control and HIV. Well, that's, that's been around for ages.
3: So when they um, test like monkeys or what they call them, non human primates, whatever that is, when they <laughs> test
0: Well, it's a non human primate, and I think that's how I'm going to start referring to some of my friends. Yeah.
3: Well, when they test them for HIV, um, they were giving them the, um, the non-human primate progesterone to help them get the animal form of HIV
2: yeah.
3: m- more quickly. So they've always known, and that was in the 80s, that progesterone makes these chumps get HIV. And there's been various trials over the years that have shown a link. And, and remember the progesterone injection? This is what they're worried about. Yeah, the de- de- depo Provera,
0: which most women would, would, would know about.
3: It's the um, in the state sector that's the most commonly used yeah. contraceptive in South Africa, and they just they've seen kind of from observation that there's these links between people on that, and they're more likely. But to But it's get very AIDS.
0: difficult to sort of kind of make an exact causal link, so you've got to be quite careful.
3: There is no causal link. That's what they're saying. Don't stop taking contraception unless we do a proper study, which is what they want to do, where they have a group of women on the injection and two other groups of women on other contraception, yeah. and they watch them over time. Then they can make a link. Until that time, it's just suspicion. And they want to do that trial from next year, but they're just a sort of cast.
0: Oh, interesting. Casting. Interesting. And, and, uh, and the other HIV, other HIV story?
3: Oh, good news for once. South Africa, so we're going to be testing not just birth control, but we're going to be testing a vaccine that worked in Thailand. So the only vaccine that's ever worked against HIV, it took 30 years to develop, and it showed some effect in preventing Yeah, it was virus.
0: limited success, though.
3: Limited success, but it's better than nothing. And they're busy studying that to see why it works and how they can make it better. And okay. interestingly, that was a partnership. I was chatting to the guy behind it between pharma companies and governments. It was the government who paid for that vaccine to be tested in Thailand, mm-hmm. a whole $103 million, and it gave 60 percent. For sand protection, the first year it was tried. Okay. So that's
0: coming to South Africa to be and uh, tested and hopefully improved, and hopefully maybe a ninety percent effectivity.
3: Ah, uh, they're looking at about fifty. They're not thinking. Uh, Are they going to hope to improve it and make it last longer? I have.
0: I have to be honest that, if, and I think if they're honest with themselves, it's a, It's not a great vaccine if it only works fifty percent of the time. In fact, if it was a vaccine for anything else, it wouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't pass approval. But
3: uh But the modelling shows it if you had that and yeah. you were using a condom some of the time and you were used maybe circumcised, like altogether, it would actually be yeah.
0: a Alright, fair enough. I suppose we've got to try anything and everything to get over the epidemic. Um all right, so uh Catherine, I think that's it, eh?
3: I'm going to go back to learning about non-human primates and do that, and just be opinion. careful of those
0: schizophrenic uh, women in in Cape Town. Uh, I am referring to an official story. I'm not just calling on the women in Cape Town schizophrenic. Um, <laughs> don't uh, don't 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 get attacked or anything, um, and uh, enjoy your time. Thanks. I
3: might not come back to Joburg. Nice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Joburg's where it's at, and I'll chat to you next week. Cool. Have
3: a good
2: week.
0: Thanks. Eh? Cheers. Bye. Right, so that's the health hour uh, and that's an engaged time. Um Jono, not meant to be there, sorry. Um, so uh, that's the health hour for this week. Uh, if uh, you want to get in touch uh, with us, uh, you can always email Cliff Central and uh, obviously get hold of us on the Twitter account at cliffcentral.com and obviously I'm on Twitter at Jonathan I'll chat to you next week. Next week we're talking about ADHD and all the drugs that children are on these days. So it should be a good show. See you then.